big questions. Who are you? What are you? Why are you here? And these are questions that most people, I think, in our society right now, they don't know how to answer these things. They don't have answers to, to who we really are, even what we are. And they've been told contradictory messages by science, by the, the world around us, uh, television, media, uh, that we are just a part of the animal species, that you are here by accident. There is no design for your life. And what we are going to be telling you this morning, what, I, what God is going to be telling you through his word, his authoritative word, is that you are not an accident, that you are different from the rest of the creation, you are different than the animal species that God also created. There is something categorically different about you and that you are also here for purpose, deep and valuable purpose. So we are going to be looking today at the uh, creation of man, the creation of humanity, and specifically Adam and Eve. We've been spending a lot of time in Genesis 1 uh, because it is so foundational. So we are just going to look at just a few verses in, at the beginning here today. In Genesis uh, chapter 1, the creation of Adam or mankind. And then we'll also we'll skip ahead a little bit to Genesis chapter 2 where it uh, goes into it in, in more detail, kind of a higher resolution about the creation of Adam and Eve. And then we're going to make some important points on this this morning. So reading in Genesis chapter 1, starting verses 26 and 27, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, there's a lot in those verses. And at the end, they're talking about the image of God and being created male and female. I'll just give you an advanced uh, notice as far as where we're going. Today, we're talking a lot about Adam and Eve and them being uh, literal, actual people. Next week's message will be specifically on what it means to be created in the image of God, how important that is, and all the ramifications, well, so many of the ramifications for that. And it says created male and female. And so in two weeks we'll be unpacking that and talking about uh, the goodness of God in creating us as male and female. But let's look at two other verses that uh, talk about the creation of of Adam and then the creation of Eve. So flip over to Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And then, that's talking about the creation of Adam, and then chapter 2, verse 22. It talks about that Adam did not have a suitable helper. The Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. Verse 22, And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And this is the creation of Eve. And 
In the weeks to come, we'll be going into chapter 2 in more detail. The big idea I have for you this morning, as we think about this, the creation of man, is that Adam was the first human, the first human being. He is the one from whom all other humans come. There are no human beings here today or anywhere that did not come from Adam as their ultimate uh, source, the one that everyone else comes from. And that there's a distinction we're going to see between uh, Adam and Eve and all human beings that come from him and the different animal species that were created prior to him. We're going to look at this biblically. We're going to look at some things from uh, science because there are many out there and TV specials and series and books and that will tell us things very contrary to what we learn in Scripture. So the first point I want to hit on here is that Adam and Eve were literal people. This is very, very important. That we look at Scripture and we realize that Adam and Eve were actually human beings. There are many that would teach, even in many churches, that Adam and Eve are symbolic. They're symbolic as the first human beings. Uh, some that they are, they're mythical. Some that interpret uh, the book of Genesis uh, in such a way, maybe the, the whole thing, maybe the beginning chapters, uh, to say that it was a literary device and we were not intended to view Adam and Eve as actual literal people. Uh, but I want to make the case to you that both in the way that we should understand Genesis, as we've been discussing in the past few weeks, and also the way that we see the rest of Scripture handle it, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, that Adam and Eve were literal people. And by this, I mean that if you had a time machine and you could go back in time, you could see them, you could uh, shake their hand, you could touch them, you could talk to them, you could take a picture, you could uh, record their voice. If that, you had the technology to do this, they were actual human flesh and blood human beings. So... In your notes, it lists these different scriptures. We're not going to talk about all of these this morning, but I want to show you a few of them so that you can see that, yeah, scripture is presenting Adam and Eve as actual literal historical people, actual individuals. And we're going to be walking through Genesis 1 through 5 in the next uh, weeks and, and months to come. So as we do this, you're going to see that... Uh, it continues to present them as actual people that have personalities that can do things that are historical. Uh, but I'll just point out one part where it talks about this, and this is in Genesis chapter 5 at the beginning. And this is the part where it talks about some of the, the genealogies. And just notice here how specifically it treats Adam as a historical, literal person. It says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. So restating those points again. And blessed them and named them man. Named them man. Yeah, because man, Adam means man. And so ultimately, uh, all of us are named uh, man. All of us are uh, of the race of Adam. And named them man when they were created. And when Adam had lived 130 years, seems like a long time, we're going to get into that. There are some longer life expectancies in the beginning. When Adam lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. And the days of 
Adam, after he fathered Seth, were 80, 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. So it gives us biographical information, and it does seem like he lived a long time, but we're going to see that is uh, also the case with uh, other individuals from this time period as well, but being presented as an actual person, lived, uh, had a family, gave birth to children, gives a specific amount of years that uh, he lived upon this earth, and then he died. This is being presented not as a uh, something symbolic, not as a, a myth, but as the Bible is presenting as a historical human being. Another example from the Old Testament, Hosea 6-7. It says, but like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. And this is going to be pointing ahead to something that we're going to see that happens with Adam, that although he's created good and he's created innocent, he's put in uh, the garden to, to work it and have relationship with God that something bad happened. There was a breaking of this arrangement that he had with the Lord. And we're going to see how it, it fractured world, the world. It fractured our lives. It fractured all relationships with each other, our relationship with this world, and most importantly, our relationship with the Lord, because he didn't do what he was called to do in a special arrangement that he had with the Lord. The New Testament as well, and Jesus in the New Testament, uh, show us that Adam and Eve were intended, again, to be literal, historical, actual human beings. Luke chapter 3 gives the genealogy of Jesus Christ. It starts uh, by saying you, in verse 23 in chapter 3, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli. And then it goes on uh, to many generations. And then in Luke's gospel, you get to the end of it and notice what it says. It keeps going. It says, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Adam, not the, the son of God in the same way that Jesus Christ is the son of God, but he was created from the Lord. He didn't have an earthly father before him. But he's included in the genealogy of Jesus Christ presented by Luke just the same as uh, all these other historical figures. So obviously Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is again presenting Adam as an actual human being that lived and walked on the face of this earth. Jesus viewed him as a human being. When Jesus was asked about a marriage and he was asked this question about uh, divorce, it says in Matthew 19, 4-5, he, and this is talking about Jesus, answered them and says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? So again, he's referencing here to uh, Genesis chapter 1, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So talking about the permanence of marriage, uh, which, by the way, also here Jesus affirming that marriage is uh, a male and a female, two uh, human beings, a male human being and a female human being coming together and being joined by God in this union. Uh, but he is pointing, going all the way back to creation, going back to God's original design, and basing it on the creation of Adam and Eve. In the book of Acts, Paul, as he is 
uh, preaching to the Gentiles in Acts 17.26. Talking about God, he made from one man, again, it's talking about Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling places. We live in different countries, we live in different areas of the world, and that's fine. God has, uh, uh, ultimately, he placed you where he has placed you. Uh, but ultimately, we all trace back to one person. And so there are different uh, national identities that we can have, and there's, uh, you don't have to be ashamed of that. That's part of God's sovereignty as well. But also there is this core identity that goes even further back where we are all connected because we all come from one man. We all come from, from Adam. And notice here too, it doesn't have to say two people. We do come from Adam and Eve and we get that. But Eve comes from Adam. So he is the ultimate one that is uh, the source of everything else. And that's very important. Now, there's other ones we could look at. We're going to save uh, some of the passages in 1 Corinthians 15 for Easter uh, because it's going to be really appropriate talking about the resurrection, but also how Christ is the, the, uh, the second Adam that comes. Some of these other verses I hope you do look at because they are very important. Uh, discussions about uh, gender, controversial things like that, gender roles, uh, the leadership in the church, and uh, the insistence in Scripture that churches, uh, that uh, men step up to, to lead the churches. It, the reasons that are given in Scripture are not reasons based on their culture at the time, but it goes all the way back to creation and the creation order. But one that I do want to have us look at here is uh, from the book of Romans. And to think about this, and I'm going to have to avoid making this the entire s- sermon, uh, but this is so important to realize if we, if you give up a literal atom, what this does to your theology, what this does to your ability to explain why sin and death came into this world, to deal with your ability to explain uh, salvation in Christ. So let's read uh, Romans chapter 5. Here Paul writes, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, he's talking about Adam, we're going to see he disobeys. By the way, it pins it on Adam specifically, not Eve. Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. So it gives the reason why sin has entered into our world and how death has entered into this world. Death that was not originally God's intent for humanity, not the original way that we created, not the way that we came off the assembly line, but something changed. And this was because of Adam's sin. That because of this, uh, and people debate how this works, uh, in the sense it was passed on, in another sense, he was the representative of all of us. But because he sinned, we all sinned, and we all do sin. It has affected us, and sin has been introduced into the world, and therefore death as well. Verse 13, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, uh, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type 
of the one who was to come. Adam was a pattern of Jesus who would come after him, who would be another uh, form of Adam, a second Adam. It goes on. But the free gift is not like the trespass. There was Adam's trespass that plunged us into sin, but thankfully, Scripture does not end there. It doesn't end when we get to Genesis, uh, where Adam falls, and he falls into sin, and now death is in this world, uh, but gospel is given, a Savior is promised. Verse 15 again, uh, says, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. We see salvation is by the grace of God. It is a free gift. It is not something that we earn. It is not something that we, that we work for at all, but it is earned and given to us. We're going to see through the obedience of this second one to come. Verse 16, and the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. It is not like the result of Adam's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So Adam, by his one sin that he did, plunged us all into sin, into death, into uh, disobedience. It affects us all. It's, it's original sin. It causes depravity in all of us. And the reason that we sin is because uh, now we come into this world with our default setting as sinners. And so Adam's action brought condemnation into the world. Condemnation is when the judge says you are guilty. The opposite of that is justification. And that's where the judge says, I declare you to be, to be innocent. Or even better than that, I declare you to be righteous. And so the act that... Uh, this second Adam would do, which this is Jesus Christ, undoes the damage of Adam for all that except the grace that is offered to you through Jesus Christ. 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So there's Adam, there's Jesus Christ. And notice it talks about the, the gift needs to be received. And then finally verse 18, therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Not saying that all men are automatically saved, but all that have received the grace, as it says before, are saved. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So believing in a literal Adam is very important because we need to believe in God's special place for human beings and because we need to be able to understand the entrance of sin and death into this world through Adam's disobedience and in order to understand our salvation through the second Adam, Jesus Christ, the one who would undo sin and death by his obedience, obeying where Adam failed instead. So, Adam and Eve, real historical, literal people, 
Of course, this goes against uh, what is the common presentation of science. Those that would claim that, well, science teaches us something different. It teaches us that we have evolved from lower uh, primates and they come from other lower life forms. Uh, there's a lot of things that are being said out there that there's uh, these fossils that are found that show this whole chain of, of uh, intermediate steps between ape-like creatures and humanity and we hear of everything from Neanderthals and Cro-Magnon man and Java man and Piltdown man and we think, oh, there's, there must be all of these different steps uh, that you see at museums and reconstructions of how they looked being partially uh, in between uh, the, the chimpanzees and the apes and, and modern man. There's stuff that um, is very common to hear in news articles right now too that uh, humanity, according to genetic studies, uh, never was originally just two people. That what is uh, asserted very forcefully is that according to, we're gonna talk about this in a second, is that uh, the original population of humanity had to be at least six to 10,000 individuals in order to account for the genetic diversity that we find among people today. So how do we, how do we deal with this? How do we interpret it from a Christian worldview? One thing we see is we look at this uh, from scripture and we also look at then God's world uh, to think about these claims is there is discontinuity between mankind and animals. So we see in the Genesis account, yeah, on the sixth day, the, uh, most of the rest of the animals are created, uh, but then there's something distinct. God doesn't just lump us in with them, that there is a special creation of humanity on that day. He creates the animals and everything according to their kind. God saw that it was good. And then, verse 26, then the God said, let us make man in our image. He didn't say that about the animals, but he says it about human beings and after our likeness. And then he says that humanity is supposed to have dominion over the rest of the animal world. Now, I say the rest of the animal world. In school, you, we get classified as animals. Uh, but there's another sense that we are not of the same thing. We, there's a huge gap, a huge distinction between human beings and animals. We're all animals in the sense that we share some characteristics that are the same, uh, but I believe the way that God views it and the way we should view it is that in the same sense that there is a gigantic gap between plants and animals, there's an even bigger gap between even the highest animal form and human beings created by God in his image. But let's look at some of the claims uh, that supposedly go against this. And one is a claim that the fossil record shows that humans descended from apes. Different ape-like creatures, uh, chimpanzees, uh, that this is where we come from. And the reply I want to give you for this, and I'm going to unpack this, is the reality is that according to the actual evidence, realistic candidates for transitional species are conspicuously absent. That if you look at the evidence, it is very noticeable that where you should have all of these intermediates, we do not have them there. And the fossil evidence is flimsy and has sometimes been straight out fraudulent. 
And the supposed transitional species, actually, when we examine them, turn out either to be ape-like creatures or subsets of human beings. But there really isn't something in between in that gap between the, the ape-like creatures and the human beings. In a 2015 article in National Geographic, if you read National Geographic, you know they are very friendly to evolution. I mean, that is the assumed thing National Geographic believes in evolution. Uh, but in this article, 2015, stated, quote, fossils attributed to Homo, it means, you know, the, the Homo, uh, you know, there's Homo sapiens, Homo erectus, they put these all in the same category. Fossils attributed to Homo in the, in the period two to three million years ago, this is their terminology, are exceedingly rare. And they go on to say, quote, you could put them all into a small shoebox and still have room for a good pair of shoes. Now, that is a very candid admission. Now, of course, as we look at this and some of the dating, I think there are lots of problems with the dating. We talked about that a bit last week. Uh, so I don't put a lot of uh, stock into that. Uh, but we'll talk about this at times using their terminology at, at, at this point. But they say when they look at the period that they expect there to be uh, these fossil records, there is not much there at all. So let's see some of the things that are there. And some of the things that sometimes get presented or at least used to be presented in, in textbooks and in newspapers. Uh, one of these is called Nebraska Man, uh, found in, well, Nebraska, okay? <laughs> And so uh, this is a drawing of a Nebraska man that you see. And this drawing here was originally published in 1922 in the Illustrated London News. So they're using this discovery to show that, uh, look, a missing link has been found. That Darwin's theory of evolution, there should be all these, well, there shouldn't be just one missing link, there should be countless numbers streaming from these other lower life forms to humanity. And uh, it was, for a long time, Darwin believed, well, we just haven't found them yet, and they were pretty convinced they, they would. Uh, and everyone wanted to be the first one to, to find the missing link. And so you had Nebraska man, and they draw a picture of what they think he would look like, and this puts in your mind, okay, there's this transitional person. Nebraska man was constructed from one tooth. That is what was found. They found one tooth, and then they said, well, the tooth looks like this, so let's uh, try and mold what we think the jaw would look like for that would fit this tooth. And then they took this jaw and said, well, let's uh, try to hypothesize what the, what the skull would look like. And it goes from there to creating you know, this whole hypothetical skeleton to making drawing and saying this is what he looks like. But it was one tooth. And later on, they discovered that this one tooth uh, is determined to have been from an extinct pig. And so now this is an embarrassment uh, for the evolutionists. They don't pull this out for a long time. This is one of those examples uh, that was out there. So Nebraska man, one tooth, and it wasn't even a human tooth. It was an extinct pig. But maybe you've heard of Java man. And so uh, Java man, one of these other uh, kind of famous uh, kind of missing links, uh, you want to see a picture of Java Man? I have a picture of Java Man for you. Okay, ready to behold this? Because maybe you've seen, 
You know, drawings were, again, or sculptures at museums where they recreate this and they put, you know, uh, you can tell what they look at, his skin and eyeballs and all this. Here is what we have of Java Man. Good looking guy, right? Yes, this is what we have of Java Man. We have one tooth, a leg bone, and a skull cap. That's Java Man for you. I don't think he was very good at baseball. Um, I couldn't, couldn't really whistle, couldn't do a lot of stuff, hard to, hard to stand. I don't know, I guess at one point, found now you know you evolved from you know, somebody that was just one tooth, one bone, and part of their skull. Now obviously they assume that there was more to Java Man, and you can go and you can find, again, reconstructions of Java Man in his entirety. But you have to remind yourself that this is all guesswork. They're, it's conjecture based on their presuppositions of what they think happened. The actual evidence is these three bones that were found. A skull cap, a femur, and, and a tooth. The femur was found 50 feet from the skull cap and was found a full year later. And it was also downplayed for almost 30 years that two human skulls were found close to the original finds. So, Nebraska man, Java man. Here's another guy, this is uh, called Piltdown Man. So here again we have artist's rendering of uh, Piltdown Man, so you can see him as a transition. Piltdown Man was used for 40 years as proof of evolution, and he was declared to be a fake. It was found that this, this one was an outright fraud, whereas Nebraska Man, uh, seems to be that they uh, didn't realize that it was a pig tooth. Uh, this one, somebody actually took the jaw of an ape and doctored it, kind of stained it to make it look old and attached it to a uh, human skull. Uh, but this was used in, uh, for 40 years, again, as, as proof of evolution. There's other ones too, I don't have a PowerPoint for this, but Peking Man, was originally, this was uh, in China, based on the discovery of a single tooth. Later, 14 skulls uh, bashed at the base and a collection of tools and teeth were discovered. However, uh, it's likely that the tools were humans and that the skulls were actually from the heads of monkeys that were bashed to eat the brains of the monkeys. So, of that. But what about Lucy? I mean, you know about Lucy, you hear about her a lot of times that uh, we have basically this missing link, you know, Lucy. Uh, and so I'll show you kind of, well, what we have of her. Other times it shows this little kind of upright walking kind of chimpanzee, kind of half chimpanzee, half woman. Uh, these are the actual bones that we have of Lucy. From what I understand, they actually did name her Lucy because the uh, people that were doing the excavations that found her were actually listening to Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds by the Beatles at the time. It's part of the story. But this is what we have of Lucy. But they're thrilled with Lucy because Lucy is one of the most uh, complete known fossils that we have of what they classify as pre-homo hominins. And uh, the bones for Lucy were found, they're found scattered over a hillside. And so there's some questions there too because these bones were found scattered abroad and people wonder, were they actually even from the same individual? Were they even from the same uh, species? Um, actually, in 2015, it was decided that one of Lucy's vertebrae probably came from actually a baboon. But they took the rest of this, they pieced it together. Uh, 
the way, well, the one reply that they have to that, they said that, well, in the find, none of the bones seem to be uh, duplicated, so that's why they view this as coming from uh, one uh, individual. You can't do DNA testing on just bones. You need uh, you know, soft material for that, so you, sometimes they really don't know. Um, but the big thing about Lucy is because they have a little bit of the hip bone there, uh, that they are able to speculate that Lucy basically walked upright. And so instead of just, you know, dragging her knuckles just like a chimp, and so they, they present Lucy as this, uh, you know, transitional form between uh, the apes and chimps and, and humanity. And maybe it was that she walked a little bit more upright. Uh, other findings show that she would not have been uh, able to do running it takes a lot more uh, work and things for, for any type of long distance running. She was still well adapted to life in the trees and that type of thing. And of course, that's if you know, the hip bone and all this were actually from the same individual. They were actually found pretty badly crushed. So there was reconstruction uh, that was done on this. Also too, when you see pictures of Lucy and stuff, don't imagine her uh, being you know, five foot six. She's probably about half as our height. Uh, so maybe a little bit over three feet uh, tall, maybe close to three and a half foot. So, you know, a little bit, and a lot of the features very much more ape-like or, or, or chimp-like um, altogether. The writers of Nature, uh, which is, again, not a creationist um, periodical, state that she was, quote, quite ape-like. There's good evidence that her species knuckle-walked like chimps and gorillas, and had other characteristics well-suited for climbing trees. Astrolophithines were, quote, certainly not adapted to striding, gait, and running as humans are. And recent reviewers in Nature have stated that uh, Australopithecines, quote, may still be considered apes, and that their features are more like the orangutan, and, quote, the possibility that any of the Astrolopithecines is a direct part of human ancestry recedes. So you have some of these examples. Again, some are frauds, uh, some you know, very flimsy evidence. Uh, but when you see these presented at the museums and on the TV specials, there's a lot of creative license that is given to make them look more human. Uh, we don't know what their skin was like. We don't know what their hair was like. If they were very hairy, if they were bald, that part hasn't been preserved. A lot of times they make their eyes look much more human. We don't have their eyeballs. Those are, those are long gone. Those haven't been preserved. But they'll give them more you know, human-looking eyeballs. Um, so there's a lot of artistic license, or whatever you want to call it, conjecture, propaganda, in order to make it look like we have these intermediate uh, species. And what happens is that the ape-like creatures, and there are extinct ape-like creatures, and we get that. Not every species that God's created is still around today. And so maybe Lucy was something that was more of a chimp that maybe walked a little bit differently than other ones. So we don't know that. Uh, but still, we'd classify, I think, if we had her today as, okay, uh, she would be in the, the zoo along with the monkeys and the chimps and, and the apes and in that same classification. But they try to make the ape-like creatures look more human, and they try to make the ones that are actually more human look more prehistoric, look more ape-like. 
And so you hear of um, Neanderthal man. And we think, well, that's a transition. You got, you know, he's uh, this prehistoric species. And if you know about uh, Neanderthal man, uh, scientists do not believe that Neanderthal man actually evolved into modern humans. They describe Neanderthal man as a, well, a cousin of humanity or a kind of an offshoot that ran parallel, that we existed at the same time for a while, but then the Neanderthals died off, uh, but we made it. But they said the Neanderthals, they had some art, they had, uh, would bury their dead. And so that leaves a question for Christians. Were this, was there another species that was created? And they, could they do these things and if they were not created in the image of God? Well, you see different drawings of Neanderthal man. This is one from a museum, but I think this one is actually not too bad. Because when you look at what Neanderthal man actually is and you look at the evidence of this, I think the, the best understanding is that Neanderthal man is an extinct subspecies of humans. That evolutionists do not believe that Neanderthal evolved into modern humans. And there's DNA evidence that they mated with what would be modern humans. They had body shapes that were within the range of variation for modern human beings. They were intelligent. Uh, some writers say probably no less intelligent than modern humans. They created art, they buried their dead, used complex tools, had musical instruments like the flute. Uh, one report, it's an older one, but reports a Neanderthal-type skeleton wearing chainmail armor. And that Neanderthals actually frequently interbred with modern humans and should be considered a subrace of the same species. In fact, now that they're doing DNA uh, studies and they've mapped the human genome, and they've been able to find tissue from Neanderthals that they've been actually able to look at the DNA from Neanderthals. And this may weird you out at first, uh, but they say there's a lot of Neanderthal DNA uh, amongst you know, the humans that live today. And that except for uh, sub-Saharan Africans, that the rest of humanity probably carries at least 2% of Neanderthal DNA. And that Neanderthal DNA is probably, if you took all the humans and collected their DNA, you could probably account for 40% of the Neanderthal uh, you know, DNA throughout human beings. That means that uh, what we consider our modern human beings today and Neanderthals were able to mate. And usually that means you're the same species if you can, if you can mate together maybe a different type of humanity, uh, but uh, human beings nonetheless. And therefore, you know, they had religion, they had art, they had all these things. So I think the best conclusion, I think the way to interpret this, is that Neanderthals were a type of human being, and I think descended from Adam and Eve, just as we are. But their type of human beings uh, died out and survives, you know, in those that, uh, have some you know, ancestors that were Neanderthals. Uh, but again, my point is that they make the non-apes try to seem more human, and they try to make the humans seem oftentimes more ape-like to try and bridge this gap between the apes and the human beings. There's also the Denisovians. They're found in Asia. They also seem to be an early form of human that was able to interbreed with mainstream humans. You hear of Cro-Magnon man found in Europe. Uh, they also seem to be early Homo sapiens as well found in Europe. So really, when you look at all these fossils, you have two main groups, the ape-like ones and the human ones, but you do not have this bridge that is in between the two. 
And when you're thinking about the gap, the journal Nature listed the changes between chimps and humans needed for long-distance running, and they included 26 anatomical and physiological differences uh, to get it so that you could go from their type of you know, walking to, to running. And that's a lot of different things. If you're going to say that random mutations accounted for all of that, that just doesn't work. And there's other things too. If you think of multiple mutations, to change like brain size, there's a lot of things that would need to happen all at once for that to even work. Uh, to increase brain size, enlarged brains would require changes to the jaw and teeth. If you just had a weaker mouth with still the large teeth and jaws, that would have been a disadvantage and they probably would not have survived and passed on their DNA to those that came afterwards. So, talked about the fossil evidence, talk a little bit about the genetic evidence, because this is another thing that's brought up a lot, is that uh, they say that genetically, now that we've mapped the human genome, we know about DNA, that our DNA is so closely related to, to chimps that it's proof that you came from a, from a chimpanzee. So the claim is that genetic evidence shows that humans are descended from the apes. I want to reply to this in stages. DNA shows evidence of common design, not common descent. We talked about evolution. We said that if you lined up all the cell phones, all the iPhones, you could see some de design similarities. And even if you went into their programming, the operating systems, there are probably a lot of similarities too. But it does not mean that the iPhone 6 literally gave birth to the iPhone 7. They were created by a common designer. And the same that created the 5, created the, uh, the, the, the latest models that came out. Similarities because of a common designer. And so that's going to show up in our DNA as well. Our DNA, it's amazing. I mean, every cell in your body has this chemical code of about, I think it's about 3 billion characters long that tells your cells how to, how to build proteins, how to construct you, how to make you what you are. And it's crazy to think that this is something that could just evolve by chance. But it is claimed that uh, when they've mapped the human genome, uh, they were able to do a long project to do this. And then they've done some work on chimps, not as in-depth, but they say that there's only about a 1.3% difference between human beings and chimps. And therefore they say, well, that's, that's not a whole lot. Looked into this a little bit, and well, the alleged similarities are exaggerated. Now, first of all, when they didn't study the chimp genome in as rigorous a way, they based it on the human uh, genome and reordered the chimp genome to fit where it needed to be, so some things got pulled out of place. There are other issues as well when differences are taken into account, such as insertions and deletions, differences in the Y chromosome. It adds up to more than 1%. Still, what you might think it's not as a lot, maybe 5 or 6%, uh, but realize that uh, this amount makes a huge difference. It is only slightly more than 0.1% of your DNA that makes you different from other human beings that are around you. So a little bit makes a huge difference. They're also finding too that it's not just the DNA, but the way the DNA is used, the way that it's structured, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, and we know biblically it's more even just than our physiological characteristics. There's 
uh, spiritual aspects as well in being created in the image of God. Uh, but so much of the DNA is basically what we call operating system. You know, if you have an operating system on a computer, they can be, you know, very different, but the operating, they can both have windows, but then the programs that run on them are very different. So, so much of our DNA is basically our operating system so telling our body how to make certain proteins and do basic things. It's like you could have two buildings that are built out of the same bricks and mortar, uh, but are two very, very different buildings. But if most of the programming is saying how to make the bricks and mortar, uh, then it might look like they are quite a bit the same. Another claim is that what's called junk DNA is evidence that you came from, uh, that you came from apes and other lower life forms. Uh, Darwin said that if, you, if we gra gradually uh, descended from other lower life forms through gradual mutations, that there would be extra non-functional DNA that you would have uh, that isn't needed for anything, and that over time uh, it would build up in, your, in our genome. We predicted that these mutations that don't affect function will accumulate over time. There's some computer files that I have where instead of creating a new computer file, maybe you do this as well too, that you just use the old one, you rename it, uh, but sometimes after a while you realize, oh, there's a lot of uh, kind of you know, junk in this computer file or things that it's linked to or uh, just remnants from before. And they say, well, that shows that in the same way, you know, we've evolved from these other lower life forms. Francis Collins was uh, the person that led the project that mapped the entire human genome. It was a big deal. So a very important scientist. Um, he is a theistic evolutionist. That means he believes in God, actually Christianity, but he also believes in evolution. He wrote a book on this, and in this he gave two lines of evidence why he still believes in evolution, even knowing all he does. And one was, the, he said, the very slight differences between humans and various animals, and we just talked about that, and he said junk DNA. Again, the prediction that mutations that don't affect function will accumulate over time. And he said that these uh, repetitive elements make up roughly 45% of the entire human genome, described them as genetic flotsam and jetsam, just kind of leftovers. And they don't do anything, they're just there. So you can't say they're part of our function, they're just leftover coding. However, he wrote that in 2006. Ten years later, uh, he backed off on that. He backed off on these statements about junk DNA, and uh, basically threw in the towel and stated, quote, in terms of junk DNA, we don't use that term anymore because I think it was pretty much a case of hubris to imagine that we could dispense with any part of the genome as if we knew enough to say that it wasn't functional. Most of the genome that we used to think was there for spacer turns out to be doing stuff. So they discovered this junk DNA really isn't junk after all. It actually is doing things. And one report said they're up to about 80% of it figured out what it actually does. And now they think, given enough time, they'll know what all the junk, junk DNA actually does. And if it's there for a purpose, then it's there by design and we need it. And it, he still believes in evolution, though. But like one of his main reasons for it has just uh, been kind of kicked away. So... 
Again, there's other reasons why people believe what they believe. Also, when we talk about genetic findings, I mentioned this. I'll do my best to summarize this. According to genetic findings, it is claimed that humans descended from an ancestral population of at least six to 10,000 individuals, and that there's no way we could go back to just two individuals. They say there's too much genetic diversity for that to, to work, that you needed this larger population. Now, I don't know even where evolution, uh, you know, how you get six to 10,000 individuals you know, to begin with. Uh, they probably have explanations in their mind for that. But, uh, you know, kind of looking into this, well, I'll give you the quick summary and then I'll try to unpack this. The claim that humans descended from an original population of several thousand is not as conclusive as presented. The genetic diversity in humans today could be explained by designed genetic diversity in the first couple. And so what they do to calculate this is they say that um, they took, take a look at the, the human genome and what's in genetics today, and they say there's this diversity, and they base it on a uh, kind of a genetic molecular clock. And what they believe is the rate that new mutations uh, come into the, the human population, how long that takes. They factor in other things as far as genetic drift and uh, recombinations. And there's a lot of guesswork going on because they can't actually go back in time and actually measure this and find out if it's actually stable or if it changes. They're also guessing on how much genetic diversity there was originally. Uh, so basically they calculate it back and they say it goes back to this population uh, that they believe you know, existed you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago and had to be this large group of people. However, there likely was more genetic diversity in the early humans than the non-creationists assume. And in uh, one chapter in a book on a critique of theistic evolution uh, that I read, um, discuss this, and I'll, I'll unpack this more when we get into Adam and Eve and their children and how this all worked out, but I was pretty amazed by this, to realize that if Adam and Eve were created with intentional uh, genetic diversity, more than probably we have, there's a lot of uh, commonalities we have, but between the two of them, and remember in your chromosomes you have two different sets, so if God created each of those distinct, your, your main genes and your recessive genes, you could have four different sets even in these two people. And then if you start with that amount of diversity, uh, it can uh, account for the diversity that we find in the, the world today. Um, one of the things that's interesting with this too is, uh, have you ever heard of mitochondrial Eve and Y chromosome Adam? This is something that gets brought up in these genetic uh, studies, and they say that, at first you're gonna say, well, this sounds great, and they're gonna say, no, don't go so fast. They say, okay, in the mitochondria, in your cells, uh, there's a part that is only passed through the mother, okay? And in their studies, they're able to determine that there was one woman who all the people that are alive today, at least, uh, have their genetic information in their mitochondria from this one woman. And it goes back, and you think, well, okay, that's Eve. They say, well, no, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that. It could, there could have been a lot of different people. It just means that you all trace back to this one woman. And males, we have a Y chromosome. That's part of what makes you, well, genetically, that's what makes you a guy. If you have a Y, you're a guy, okay? 
and uh, it only gets passed on by males, but if you trace this back, it goes back also to one individual who they've labeled as Y-chromosomal Adam. But they say, you know, Christians don't get so excited so quick. First of all, you know, these are, you know, many, many thousands of years ago or uh, very long periods of time, but also they say these are not necessarily the first human beings. They're just the ones that you trace yourself, you know, back to, the, the least common ancestor. You know, there could have been other people, but maybe their family lines didn't survive. Uh, and they say that uh, mitochondrial Eve and Y-chromosomal Adam didn't live at the same time either, that they were separated by a, a long period of time. Now remember, I do think that the presuppositions they use for dating are flawed, uh, but looking into this, I thought, it's interesting. Well, which do they view that came first? They view that mitochondrial Eve was earlier than Y-chromosomal Adam. And thinking about this, I thought, if scripture is true, what should we expect as far as a common ancestor that we all trace back to? And Eve would be one that every single person would trace back to as far as this mitochondrial Eve. But what about Y chromosomal Adam? If this is a person, remember, it doesn't have to be like the only human being that was alive or the first human being that was alive. All it means is that everyone that's alive today goes back to this one individual, which could mean that he was the first and only, but it also could just mean that everyone else's family just didn't make it and they're not around. And I realized Eve comes first and then Y chromosome Adam. If you think about this biblically, I think they got the name wrong. I think Y chromosome Adam should be Y chromosome Noah. Because if you think about this, if the biblical account is correct, which it is, uh, Noah and his sons would have shared that Y chromosome and it would all go back to him. Now, if we base too much on science instead of scripture, then you get in trouble when the science shifts like it tends to. Scripture is our sure foundation, but it is interesting to find out these things. And so don't be afraid that what is claimed to be the results of science disprove what scripture tells us. Last points here, these are applications. We'll go through these fairly quick. And we've looked at scripture that's talked about these. There's discontinuity between us and the animals, but there is unity between all mankind as descendants of Adam. One application for this, there should be no such thing as racism because we are all a part of the race of Adam. We are all united, we all trace back to Adam, and yeah, there is diversity, there is design, and those things are, are, are fine and good, but that which unites us, being created in Adam, is, is so much deeper and so much more foundational uh, than our physical characteristics that got grouped and lumped together over time that right now everyone just wants to uh, have this be, be things that, that split human beings from other human beings. And as Christians, we should definitely know better and we should be the last ones that want to have anything to do with racism in our hearts or in our lives. And if that's in there because of sin, we want to look at that, we want to flush that out and just affirm that, that we are all part of this, the human race that comes from Adam. We think of this too, think of the word mankind. You know, and I've been using the term creation of man, and I know that's not very politically correct, and I just say, should I say human being or something like that? But theologically, 
I think it's okay to say man because theologically I don't mean male. I mean man because Adam is man. Adam's name means man and we are all descendants of Adam. So the way to think about it is that mankind is really Adam kind, that we are descended from him. But guess what? Even that shared identity we have, that is not as deep and as foundational as important as the shared identity that we have in Christ for those that have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and that are found in him in the new Adam. That is an even deeper connection and identity that we have. Also, because we are united with Adam, it means that, well, because we are all connected to Adam, all would be affected by his obedience or his disobedience. That is, the, the head of the human race, that if he obeyed God, it would be good for everyone. If he disobeyed, it would have consequences for all of us. And as we saw in Romans 5, those consequences brought sin and death upon us all because in Adam, we all sinned as well. But then finally, and as I said, we're going to pick this up next week, God's creation of man was the crowning act of his creation week. It was. This was the end of day six. After that, God rested. He said, this is good. This is very good. I've done it. This is the crowning act. This is the pinnacle of all of this. That's because mankind was created in the image of God and we're created for God's glory. We'll talk about this more next week. And we see also that Adam and Eve were created. This is very good. Not just good, but very good. I think it's not right to say they were created perfect, at least not perfect in the way that God is perfect. They were still able to sin. They were still able to disobey but they were innocent at this point. They're created upright and innocent. So I want to understand, thinking about your identity and who you are, and at the risk of being a gigantic nerd, okay, I want to end with something that I picked up uh, from Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Okay? Now, new Star Trek has been mostly terrible, but I want to reappropriate a quote that Patrick Stewart at John Luke Picard said to another character in a very tender way. And I want to say this to you. He said, you must look inside deeply and honestly. Have you ever considered the possibility that you are something lovingly and deliberately created? And I want you to think about yourself that way too. That is the truth. You were lovingly and deliberately created by God to have a relationship with him. And you can have that relationship through Jesus Christ who died for you. Let's pray. Lord, we give you praise. We give you thanks. Lord, we thank you that you created us. And Lord, that you saved us. Thank you that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and did uh, what he did to, by his obedience to undo the damage that Adam did by his disobedience. Let us believe you, let us trust you, and let us live for your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen.